Uh, well, John, thank you very much. Uh, I was uh, thinking about when the last time I was here, and I looked, and it's been exactly four years ago. Um, it was sometime in April, so it's good to be back for some people that I've seen many times over the years. It's good to see everyone for the new people. Uh, I'm just thrilled that you're here and that I get a chance to just be with you and share a little bit from my heart. Um, for those of you who can stand, I would love for you to read together from the Word of the Lord. So if you could stand, we're going to read. And I want you to read the underlined part, and I'll read the rest. First part is from 1 John 7, 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And then from John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, if you were wondering what I was going to preach on, it's probably pretty obvious by now. It's love. We're in week 13 or 33 of the core 52 book, and the verse I'm looking at today is just that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In 1965, Burt Bacharach and Hal David wrote a song, and it was called what the world needs now is love, sweet love. And the lyrics of that song went like this. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. If that song was relevant then, it's really relevant now. The world is hurting and in need of healing. People are hurting and need of healing now more than ever. It seems our world is void of love, and we see it in the current events in the world, from the Academy Awards to the U.S. leadership debates and even in our community. That song, What the World Needs Now is Love, is 57 years old. I don't really remember it. Uh, it's so ironic that that song title and the verse that we are studying today, they mirror each other in so many ways. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son, which is the love that the world needs right now. And whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, which is the hope that the world needs, an eternal home in heaven. The world could use our love. Our leaders could use our love. Our community could use our love. Our workplace could use our love. Your family could use your love. And our churches need to be that source of love 
and it should start right here. You know, as I minister on the IU campus, I challenge students who I have the privilege to walk with to have a response to whatever we're talking about, whatever we're studying. So I'm going to ask all of you here today, like I would ask them, what is your response to that verse? I think we can easily break it down into three important things that I want you to be challenged to respond to and hopefully take action on. Here are the three things. Number one, how do I respond as a follower of Christ in modeling his love in my life? Number two, how is the church responding to be a conduit of that love? And number three, how do I respond personally? How do you respond personally to Jesus' never-ending love for you? My 25 minutes is to bring you closer to embracing the love of Christ and to use the model of love to love others well. You know, it's really a non-negotiable if you truly are a follower of Christ. In the passage that we read, for God so loved the world, not just some, but everyone. If we're truthful with ourselves, that is difficult to accept because in our minds, we sometimes feel there's people that don't deserve God's love. But that simply is a lie. The truth of the matter is we don't deserve his love, but he gives it freely if we will accept it. Because of that grace given to us, we have no other choice but to love others well. We have this incredible book, the Bible, and it can be described in so many ways, but it truly is a love story between God and his people. And although as followers of Christ, we focus on the New Testament, we can also embrace the treasure of the Old Testament in, as an amazing book of history. We uh, garner the wisdom books, but the takeaway from the Old Testament is one recurring theme. God loved his people. He provided for them. They strayed away from him. But because he loved them, he continued to rescue them over and over and over. His people never fully understood a life of obedience to him. And under the old law, we would all fail miserably. Thankfully, that is behind us. And we don't have to go back to a time before he showed his ultimate love by sending us his son to take the pain of our inequities. As I mentioned, I work with college students, students from different faith upbringings, different demographics and influences. And one of the most frequently asked questions that they ask me is about this eternal life part of our passage. They ask about heaven and hell. So here's kind of what we wrestle with. Hell is a reality here on earth if one chooses that. Hell is the rejection of love, grace, and forgiveness. If those are void in your life, you are probably in a living hell. In contrast, heaven is for those who have accepted the love of Christ, his forgiveness, and his grace. But, and hear me out on this one, what I caution my students and the core of today's message is that we, you and I, the church, need to be living our lives preparing for heaven so that it will be a place that we fit in. Everyone wants to fit in. You want to fit in, and I do. 
we want to prepare to embrace everything that God has for us. I believe if one's life, even committed to Christ, is filled with anger, judgment, hate, and lies, you might experience a tough heaven. If we, if we don't prepare well for a test, we're not going to get a good grade. Or better yet, if I'm traveling to a foreign, company, a foreign country, I prepare for what I need to take, what the culture might present that I need to be aware of, how to approach the people who might not understand my language, the do's and don'ts of that society. If I don't prepare for heaven, I may struggle to receive the blessing. So how do I respond as a follower of Christ to modeling his love in my life? We need to prepare for today for the rest of our earthly lives. And that secret is what Jesus made sure his followers understood. And that was the greatest commandment, and it hasn't changed one bit. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And this is what I really love, what he said next. Do this, and you will have life. Love God, love others. Is that simple? No. It's incredibly difficult because the world is distracting you and me from what truly matters. God's definition, in my opinion, of what matters is pretty straightforward. He measures our lives by how well we love. So how well are you doing that in your life? Be honest. When you arrived this morning, what was on your mind? Frustrated because you were late? Wondering where you would sit? Discovering new people occupying your normal spots? Wondering if there was coffee? And who in the world is preaching today? Or were you a lover of people? Embracing people and preparing your mind and heart for worship? How are you loving God? How do we even accomplish this in our busy, busy world? I believe that prayer is the mark of a lover. Those who deeply love Jesus can't help but pray often. So is this relationship with Jesus a priority? If it is, pray. Only through prayer can we solidify this love affair we need with Jesus. And if you say, I don't think that's going to work out well for me, I would say, when was the last time you really carved out time to try? I take college students out into the middle of nowhere to experience quiet, a non-distracted, void of cell phones and traffic, only the birds, the wind, and the trees, just to experience prayer, to talk to Jesus, share their lives, their concerns, and their adoration for all he has provided. Is that difficult? Yes, it is. Is it a discipline? Yes, it is. Is it a step towards heaven and truly following Jesus? Absolutely. So how are you loving others? Are your thoughts daily looking for ways to bless others? Do you think of people who could use your words of encouragement or a reassuring text? Who did you buy lunch for last week just because you wanted to thank them for being a part of your life? Those all seem like ways we follow Christ. 
We are called to be encouragers to one another. We are called to be generous. We are called to serve one another. I believe Jesus wants us to love others so much that we go to extremes to help them. You know, there's many, many verses that we can look at uh, in the Gospels that is a self-examination to see where we fall in this love meter. But I only have time for one, so I want you to follow along as I read this. It's from Luke 6, 27 through 30. This is what Jesus says. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistrust you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks, and anyone who takes belongings to you, do not demand it back. Do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. So when you read this, when I read this, you've got to ask yourself one question. Am I really willing to listen to Jesus and apply this to my life? This isn't easy. I don't know who you consider to be your enemies, but if everyone is honest, everybody has a list. And the people got on your list for a reason. They mistreated you. They hurt you. They betrayed you. They lied to you. Maybe people got on the list because they have a different view from you. And the list of reasons to put someone's name on that goes on and on and on. But you know what? Jesus isn't concerned about your list. And you know why? Because you're to love them. I am not saying this is easy for you or me. It's a struggle. But I know this is true. If we are going to follow Jesus and live and love like Jesus, this challenge to love our enemies cannot be ignored. In this hurting world that God so loved, we need to embrace this passage, not just look at it as an optional part of following Christ. Some reasons for struggling to love our enemies is because it seems like a rule, and often we don't like rules. But let's look at a hypothetical. And please, everyone, it's a hypothetical, so I need a smile or two on this one. The city announces a mask ordinance, and because we don't like that rule, the mayor becomes our enemy. And maybe in that hypothetical, there are 500 Facebook posts from people, even followers of Christ, claiming the mayor is our enemy. But this is just, this is just a hypothetical. But think about this in our lives. Don't we always look to somebody who's saying something and deciding if we agree or disagree? They become our enemies. But I don't believe that's what Jesus told us to do. We're to pray for them and love them. Jesus wasn't teaching us a rule to be obeyed here. He was teaching us an attitude of the heart. It wasn't a legal duty Jesus was teaching. Jesus was concerned about the condition of our hearts. He was looking to us to have compassionate hearts and people around us, period. He wants us to love our enemies the same way that he loves us. And here's the truth. We could all very well be on his list, right? Think about the times we've lied, betrayed him, mistreated him, ignored him. All of these times, we could have been on his list, but he chose to love us. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So how is the church responding to the, this and to be a conduit of love? I think you all know we're in a consumer world. And in recent research, the church often is viewed as a place to consume, nothing more. Andy Stanley touched on it when he addressed why churches are half empty. And this was way before the pandemic. Francis Chan dangled out there his frustration with the direction of the church in a book he called, called Letters to the Church. I'll share their frustrations as they are real and legitimate, but I also want to tout what this church does. I believe you're, with all my heart, you're doing everything to combat that perception. Here's a few of the observations. The mission of the church is not clear, and that makes it difficult to become an active participant. And isn't it interesting that we have more Bible knowledge than ever before? It's so accessible through the internet. But do we embrace it? And do we use it? The messages are void of love and compassion, and mostly are just irrelevant. Church consumers are picky, needing this type of personality to preach or this style of worship to please them. Church consumers want to show up and be fed. They want their children fed. They want their guests fed. You know, we're in the top 5% of the world's wealthiest societies, and we're consumed by what? Wanting more. Take a step back and look at it, and you'll see it's very, very true. So although those things are very painful to hear, is it possible the decline in church attendance across the country could be that of those needing genuine love and growth see churches too consumed with things that don't matter? Lights, camera, action, lacking in love, compassion, and bringing people into a true understanding of the love of Christ. I wrestle with this. You all wrestle with this. But, I, but remember one thing. There is a love filter to put everything through. Is my church loving well? Am I loving well? Having said that, John, I am so proud of Sherwood Oaks. I am so proud of what you all are doing. And many of our sister churches sacrificially love well. I watch Redeemer. I watch Genesis. I watch Soma Midtown that my son attends in Indianapolis. I watch East 91st Street. I watch Genesis in Fishers. These churches, when I go to them, are sacrificially loving people. But we could all do more. We can do more. This is about to become a brand new church. Be a church on mission to love others. Strive to impact lives with caring hearts. And be generous. Just this past week, I received a letter from one of my former college students. He's enduring a lot of issues. Depression, a failed marriage, an accident, and he writes this to me. Depression has deep roots in my family. A lot of willingness to push things down, a lot of willingness to talk about issues, to face small conflicts and difficult days. I spent countless hours in therapy from that point forward. I took antidepressants for several years, and I got support. 
It's something I'll always watch for in my life. I had some amazing support during that time. One of the greatest struggles, though, was I had built, or thought I had built, a strong church community, too. But when I needed help, there was almost no support from anyone involved with the church. They disappeared into the fog as quickly as I did. I battle with that to this day. Why was the church so far from the life displayed by Jesus? Why were the arms of people that said, I love you, had no affiliation with the church? That's a painful letter to read because I love the guy, but it's painful to read. And the thing is, he's our neighbor. He's our neighbor, so we have to love him. Is life messy? Yes. Should the church be willing to talk with someone through the messes? Yes. Can healing happen? Absolutely. If the world we know ended tomorrow, what would the church be known for today? You know, it's amazed me for years that people can be a part of a church for 20 or 30 years and never disciple someone. How can that be? Don't you wonder if asked today, not from a time when scriptures were written, what God might say he would want the church to look like. I think it might be something like this. And I said it a little bit earlier. I believe he wants us to love others so much that we go to extremes. I believe we should look at the church and envision it as a table. Let's envision us all sitting at a great, big, beautiful table. At the table, everyone has a seat. Everyone has a story, and everyone's story matters. In our church today, are we looking to see who is sitting beside us or across from us? In the end, we exist to love God, and our love for God is manifested in serving and loving those at the table. Wherever you're at on this journey, there is a place for you at the table. Don't just be a consumer. You will never experience the richness of the feast until you understand your value and your purpose for being at the table. Yes, the table's large, really large, but there is room for everyone, and the impact of the feast will be determined by the love that is demonstrated at the table. Love is driving everything, just as love drove the Son of God to die on the cross to pay for the price of our sins, past and future. He desires to meet you at the table, and he is using us to reflect this love in our community and the church. At the table, we meet Jesus face to face, and we experience his joy, his peace, his forgiveness, his grace, and most importantly, his love. It's a great challenge, isn't it? And number three, how do I respond personally? How do you respond personally to Jesus' never-ending love for you? How do I respond for his never-ending love for me? The truth is, is that when you're 10 years old, life is going pretty slow, about 10 miles an hour. When you get 20 years old, it speeds up a little bit. When you get 40, wow, things are starting to go pretty quickly. And then some of us in the room have reached that speed limit age. And life is going by crazy 
fast. So you look at your life, this timeline, and if you wait until the right time to refocus your life, you're never going to do it. There's never a better time to refocus on loving Jesus and modeling his love in the way you love others. There is no drawback. There is no downfall. There is nothing that will impact your life in a negative way. I want this church and I want you all to begin preparing for heaven. I believe with all of my heart, it will only be a place of love. I've had a lot of time to think about this and I look at my life. I see how he's loved me unconditionally. And I'm not always easy to love. Right, Julie? <laughs> I've come to the realization that I am on the home stretch. I've been practicing giving away, and it feels really good. This earth and the things are not where my focus need to be. I give my key employees that are taking the reins of my business just one piece of advice. And if you ask any of them, they would know what it is. And it is love each other, care for each other, and be generous. My message has been unwavering. How can I not give my love and devotion to him when I think about my life? Think about your life right now. Surely your story is like mine. I think about all the times he stood by me, times my life was spiraling out of control. I think about the truth he needed me to see when all I could believe were lies. I think about the joy he's brought to my life, my family, my employees, my college students. I think about how he's loved me when I'm unlovable. I think about how he held me up and he never let me fall. I think about the times he gave me words when I couldn't speak, when I officiated a funeral of a child. I think about strength he gave me when I was weak, when I cared for my dying father. I think about the times he was always there for me when no one else was. For all those times he stood by me, for all the truth he made me see, for all the joy he brought into my life for all the wrongs that he made right, for every dream he made come true, for all the love I found in him. I'll be forever thankful. He's the one who's held me up. He's never let me fall. He's the one that saw me through, through it all. He was my strength when I was weak. He was my voice when I couldn't speak. He was my eyes when I could not see. He was the best. He found the best in me. He lifted me up when I could not reach. He gave me faith because he believed. I'm everything I am because he loved me. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Because he loved me, there's no words. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. 
Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.